Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are, for, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Speak to us. We, your servants, are listening. Let us hear. Let us understand. In the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Some kindly soul apparently found where I had laid this and thought it was lost and put it into the uh, copy room where I was not between services. <laughs> but someone, was that you, Gail, that found it? Karen found it. Well, thank, thank whoever found it. Uh, I've just, <clears throat> just done this sermon once, and so you would think I would uh, be able to do it again. But... Uh, Sometimes that's not the way it works, uh, particularly when you are retired. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't work that way uh, uh, in, anymore. Now, it's always an honor. It really is always an honor to be asked to preach. And it's an especial honor uh, to be asked to preach in this church. Uh, this is the church that uh, my wife and I joined when we were young adults. Uh, this is the church we raised our children in. It's the church out of which I uh, uh, went into the ministry. Uh, and it's the church I returned to, uh, golly, a long time ago, <laughs> 2003, and served until I retired uh, in, uh, in 2009. Now, last Sunday, uh, Pastor Al uh, reminisced a bit 
about retirement and how uh, when you are ready to retire or you're preparing to retire, like he is, um, your year is filled, filled with a whole lot of last things. Uh, last time you'll be on the steps in the front of the church on Christmas Eve. Uh, and of course, last time you will preach a, uh, an Easter sermon in a church that you serve. And he went on to say, it may very well be the last time I'll preach an Easter sermon at all because pastors are wont to uh, give up their pulpits on the biggest day of the year, on Easter Sunday. Uh, but the joke, it was April Fool, was it not? The joke is on him because here I am, Easter Sunday morning. Well, maybe not in this church, but it is Easter Sunday somewhere. Uh, in fact, about 10 minutes from here, there is a Greek Orthodox church. And today is the Orthodox Easter, the day they are celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, it just happens that way because they use a different calendar uh, than we do. Uh, anyway, I thought it would be appropriate to uh, greet you with the traditional Greek uh, greeting. Uh, it's in English. Um, and you used it, I think, probably last week. So you know it. If I say, he is risen, you'll say. Yeah, uh, that's, that's right. But I <laughs> hate to say this, but I was in the 11 o'clock service last week, and they did it much better. So, I sprung it on you, but we need to do it again, uh, and, and do it as if you meant it. Okay, he is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, and to make it fully all, uh, authentic, uh, we need to do it in Greek. So, Christos uh, Anesti. Ah, some of you know that. Some of you know that. Well, did you throw that up there? <laughs> I tell you, this is just uh, the, the timing thing, you know, with the children and all of that. It, it takes a while to get your timing down. But, uh, but anyway, that is the, uh, that's the traditional Greek uh, 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 greeting for, for Easter. Christus, Christos, rather, Anesti, and Alithas, Anesti. Christ is risen uh, indeed. Now, uh, this is a special day in addition to being the Orthodox Easter. Uh, I, I bumped into uh, a friend of mine uh, at a ball game of all things uh, last, well, I mean, where else would I bump into a friend of mine <laughs> except a baseball game? Okay. Uh, and and uh, Harold Halleck, do any of you know Harold? Okay, yeah, some of you know Harold. Uh, Harold is a retired Episcopal priest. He had the Church of the Savior up on... Uh, uh, Rio Road, the little one that has a brown brown uh, uh, sanctuary in front of the other church. Uh, anyway, uh, we were chatting, and uh, he asked me uh, if I was doing any preaching. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, next Sunday I get to preach uh, back at First United Methodist. Uh, he said, oh, Low Sunday. <laughs> and uh, do you know about Low Sunday? If you grew up in a Catholic church or Episcopal church, you probably know about Low Sunday. Uh, officially, uh, Low Sunday has to do with the fact that last Sunday is such a high liturgical Sunday 
that anything by comparison is going to be subdued a bit. And, and so uh, this Sunday and, and all the others are more like low Sunday. Now, we preachers, though, know there's another reason <laughs> to call it low Sunday. We understand that. Uh, and it has to do with two things. First of all, it has to do with preacher fatigue. Uh, the energy level of preachers the Sunday after Easter, hey, you've built up throughout Lent and you've done the resurrection and it's just, hey, <laughs> I've had it. The other thing is that this Sunday, uh, traditionally, is the lowest attendance Sunday of the entire year. After the highest, Easter's the highest and the Sunday after is generally uh, the lowest. I mean, everybody came last week. Why come this week? And, uh, and uh, we, we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about that uh, uh, later on. Uh, there's another thing that Easter is. It's just really a, a lot of different things. Uh, Bright Sunday. Bright Sunday. Holy Humor Sunday. That's this Sunday. You know what that is? You can tell them. What is Holy Humor Sunday? Uh, it's uh, God's great joke to the world. Exactly. Played a great trick on the devil by raising Jesus from the dead. And so it, this Sunday in some places and sometimes uh, is filled with practical jokes and frivolity of all sorts. It is called Bright uh, Sunday. Well, enough about that. Uh, whether it be a low Sunday or a high Sunday, we are here to celebrate the resurrection of, uh, of Jesus Christ. We have entered into what is the uh, 50, great 50 days of Easter. Uh, and that goes from now until Pentecost, May 20 uh, uh, this year. And so we're going to be celebrating a lot about the, uh, the uh, uh, coming of Jesus into the world after his crucifixion. Uh, in fact, Today's reading from the Gospel of John uh, tells the story of Jesus appearing to his disciples uh, on the uh, evening of the day of resurrection. And uh, uh, Thomas wasn't there uh, when, when this occurred, but it says it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked. Why would they lock the doors? Well, of course, they locked the doors because they were afraid. Uh, their master had been crucified. Now, some of the women had said he's been raised from the dead, but they weren't sure they believed that. And so they were afraid that if they got Jesus, we're next. We're next. And so they locked the doors uh, for fear that they would be arrested and perhaps they would be crucified as well. Now, Thomas, in his grief and in his disillusionment, uh, he, he wasn't there. His friend said, well, we saw the Lord. But just as the witness of the women was dismissed, so he dismissed the witness of his friends. He didn't believe it. He said, in fact, I'm not going to believe it unless I can see the uh, marks in his palms where the nails went in and unless I can feel the wound in his side. Uh, unless that happens, I'm not going to believe. Uh, now, <laughs> if I were to tell you, we, we don't like to believe witnesses. Sometimes. If I were to tell you 
that I painted that wall this morning, half of you, I bet, before you left here would go over and, and check to make sure that it's dry. Uh, it, it's, it's, we don't want to, we, we don't want to believe that, that I painted it long enough ago for it to have dried already. Uh, Thomas, though, wasn't the only one. You'll recall that before Jesus' crucifixion, Philip, who at the time was articulating uh, what the disciples, all of them, were probably thinking, he said this. He said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be, we'll be satisfied. And of course, this was uh, shortly after Jesus had said to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, but he, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't buying that. And after the resurrection, we don't see this one very often, but after the resurrection, they, uh, Jesus took his disciples up on a mountaintop, and we know that he ascended to heaven and all of that. But when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This was later than the day of resurrection. And to me, if you say some, that means more than one. <laughs> okay, so more than one of those disciples was still having some, some doubt about uh, who Jesus uh, really was and, and what he was really uh, about. They couldn't make that connection between what Jesus said and who he was. Now, did any of you happen to see the uh, live presentation of Jesus Christ Superstar? Okay? A few of the people my age. Okay? Uh, because we remember it from the 70s. You know, and, and uh, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with that, uh, it, it's, it's quite a musical. Interesting. It portrays the story of Jesus' last days, but it does it through the eyes of Judas. It does it through the eyes of Judas. And while there's much to criticize about the composer's, shall we say, fanciful use of scripture from time to time, uh, it does open the door for some lively theological debate. Uh, and in the title song of that, uh, Judas, this is the song that comes on first, Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, Judas, uh, part of the uh, lyrics that I say, uh, and don't you get me wrong, don't you get me wrong, I just want to know, who are you? What have you sacrificed? Legitimate question. Simon the Zealot, that would be Bill Clark, I think, <laughs> in the presentation on uh, Monday, Thursday, was it? Good Friday, what, no, Monday, Thursday. Simon the Zealot. Uh, the zealots, as you may recall, were the ones who uh, wanted to chase the Roman oppressors out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, by force. They were going to arm themselves and take them on and force them out. Uh, but Simon the Zealot is also in Jesus Christ Superstar. And he has, a, he has an interesting song that comes up about there. <clears throat> and he's, he's talking to Jesus. And he says, there must be 50,000 screaming love and more to you. And every one of 50,000 would do whatever you tell them to. Keep them yelling their devotion. Add a touch of hate at Rome. And you will rise to a higher power. 
and we will find ourselves a home. And you, you get the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Reminds me of the time when Jesus was taken up on the mountain by the devil, tempted in the, in the desert there, and was told, all you have to do is bow down to me. And all of this can be yours. Tempting. It had to be tempting for Jesus. There they are in Jerusalem yelling devotion. You say the word. You'll get the power and the glory. And Jesus responds in song. Wish I could sing, because this is so poignant. I'll give you the gist of it. He's responding to Simon. He says, neither you, Simon, nor the 50,000, nor the Romans, nor the Jews, nor Judas, nor the 12, nor the priests, nor the scribes, nor doomed Jerusalem herself understands what power is, understands what glory is, understands at all. That may not be scriptural but it sure is accurate, isn't it? Thomas was not the only one that had a blind spot, not by a long shot. And we do the gospel a disservice when we concentrate upon what was his worst day. after the crucifixion of Jesus and after waiting with the others and after having the witness of the women not be proved. He needed proof. And then being absent when Jesus appeared to the others. Not a good day. His worst day. And when we concentrate on that, uh, we ignore what was Jesus' best day. That is the day that he brought hope back to those who were gathered, including Thomas later. When he brought that hope back, and I think that begs a question with which we in the church still struggle. And that question has to do with our understanding of power and glory as it relates to Jesus and how that power and glory impacts us and has a claim on our lives. The question is whether we will bow down to the ministry of Jesus Christ or will we follow the lead of those who are willing 
to sacrifice the servant power of our Savior and bow down to the altar instead of worldly greed and and worldly self-aggrandizement, embracing a self-centered brand of power that cares little about others and ultimately is dehumanizing and clearly un-Christ-like. So what's the truth of it all and how are we to discern the truth? When I was speaking to the children earlier, I I mentioned to them and, and demonstrated for them that they could use their five senses to come up with some truth, a lot of truth, most of the things we know, we know through our five senses. But there are some things that we can only know through the witness of somebody else. Like Thomas on the day of resurrection, I've never seen, I've never talked to Jesus face to face. But Jesus also said that those who have not seen and yet who believe are to be blessed. He insinuated there that there are other ways of discerning truth. What I know about Jesus what I I have in my heart and what I have in my gut is an accumulation of what I've read, what I've heard, what I've discerned through prayer. As a good Methodist, I can tell you that my faith didn't just magically appear out of the mist. but rather is grounded in the scriptures and in the traditions of the church, which I have studied. It's grounded in my experience of God's grace and God's mercy and God's love over 77 years now. Not just in my life, but in other people's lives. Some of you in this room. I can offer the witness of reason and of wisdom. I can tell you that to me, it's unreasonable to think that we are all just in this thing all by ourselves and should be out for nothing except what enriches me. We are in this thing together and we ought to be taking care of each other. It's kind of like Jesus said, you know, to feed the hungry, to shelter the homeless, to, to uh, work to remove the shackles of discrimination, and injustice. In short, I can give you all of this evidence, but unless we're on the same wavelength spiritually, you still might not comprehend. The point is that we need each other. And we need to be able not just to love each other, but to trust each other. Some of you have heard me say before that I'm suspect when someone says to me, but I don't think I need the church. The church is obsolete. I am a spiritual person, but not a religious person. 
And my response is, we're all spiritual people. That's the way God created us. It's not an issue of whether you're spiritual or not. The issue is, how are you shaping your spirituality? What is, what is helping you to make sure that your spirituality is moving in the right direction? That you're using your spirituality not just as something selfishly to be hoarded, but rather using it for the good of the whole. We need constantly to be tested and affirmed and even rebuked if necessary to ensure that we're on the right track and you can't do that by yourself. You need other people. Now, uh, does that mean that we're all clones of one another, that we're all alike? No, no, no. Not at all. Our founder, John Wesley, you knew I'd get on in there somewhere. But our founder, John Wesley, over a century and a half ago, said this. He said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart. Though we are not of one opinion. Without doubt, he said, we may. Smart man, <laughs> Mr. Wesley. You know, when Thomas missed seeing Jesus that day, he could have packed it in. He could have said, this is it, I'm through, I'm out of here. He could have gone back to Galilee, leaving the fellowship behind, living out his life. He had every reason to be disillusioned. He had every reason to be frightened. He had every reason to be, a, be, be angry, but something kept him. He stayed and during that week, he listened, he learned, he leaned on his friends for support. And a week later, he was rewarded by meeting the risen Lord himself. When Jesus said, peace be with you, he understood. He knew. And my message for you today is simply this. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, if you're up here high or if obstacles have been thrown in your path, you're not alone. <laughs> the risen Christ is with you in the fellowship that you share. So hang in and may the peace of the risen Christ be with you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.